her team. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means some more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Peter Lewis. So after an exciting weekend of sport, it's back to business and financial matters. President Xi Jinping says the Chinese economy remains strong and pledges to focus on the quality of economic growth. US Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen indicates that interest rates will rise at a gradual pace later this year. Australia becomes the latest country to signal its intention to join the China-led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank and Asian Index Futures open mixed following Wall Street's modest advance on Friday. It really is interesting to see these European countries move to negative interest rates. Um, And in a way, I'm surprised that there hasn't been more pickup in the demand for cash. Cash is uh, not a very convenient um, store, store of value. Cash is not a very convenient store of value. They're, they're surprising words from Federal Reserve Chairman Janet Yellen, especially for those of us paid in dollars, euros or yen. We'll ask our international economics correspondent Barry Wood to help us make sense of the latest comments from Janet Yellen. And after that, we'll take a look at the explosive growth of the derivatives market in mainland China with Haitong Futures' Eric Wren. Our regular Monday morning guest host, Alex Wong of Ample Capital, is back with us. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So, Alex, we, we had quite a lot of Chinese companies reporting earnings um, sort of last week. How, how do you think uh, the markets are going to react this week to these sort of latest reports on the health of Chinese, uh, China's biggest companies? Oh, I think uh, that will not matter too much after the announcement of the uh, China Securities uh, Regulatory um, Commission on Friday that the uh, public fund in China could invest uh, in Hong Kong for the uh, Hong Kong China Connect. So uh, from the results, we can see that banks are weak and then Probably a few um, uh, stable consumption companies are strong. So uh, basically, I think that would be polarized. I think, but uh, for the whole market, I think the film is uh, whether people would bet on the uh, info of funds from China to Hong Kong. Okay. Well, we'll be talking to Alex Moore during the course of this morning about uh, about the Chinese markets. Speaking at the Bao Forum in Hainan, President Xi Jinping reassures Asian leaders that the Chinese economy remains healthy, despite slipping to its slowest growth in two decades. He said China would emphasize quality and efficiency in its economy rather than rapid expansion and will import $10 trillion worth of goods over the next five years. Here's President Xi. When looking at China's economy, one should not focus on the growth rate only. As the economy continues to grow in size, around 7% of growth would be quite impressive, and the momentum it generates would be larger than growth at double digits in previous years. At the same conference, China's central bank chief said the country needs to be vigilant for signs of deflation. Policymakers were closely watching declining commodity prices. Xu Sitao is the chief economist at Deloitte China. What does he think about the president's remarks? I think highlight was really about uh, 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 peaceful uh, development. I, I think China wanted to demonstrate it, uh, her uh, commitment and desire to co-develop 
with neighboring countries. Um, I, I think the key word is inclusive. So um, uh, China doesn't want to take a dominant position, uh, notwithstanding the fact uh, as the largest economy, uh, China has very, uh, a very strong competitive advantage in area of infrastructure, construction, so on and so forth. But I think the key word is inclusive. Australia, Russia and the Netherlands become the latest countries to signal their intents to become founder members of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. The new Shanghai-based bank aims to provide funds for investment in infrastructure projects in the Asia-Pacific region. The UK and Switzerland have already been formally accepted as founder members by China. The decision follows moves this month by South Korea, France, Germany and Italy to also join the bank. The CEO of Principal Global Investors, Jim McCoffin, explains why China is pushing for the AIIB. I think this uh, infrastructure bank is part of a bigger picture so far as China is concerned. Ultimately, the Chinese policymakers, economic policymakers, I believe, are pushing towards the idea of the renminbi as a reserve currency. But there's lots of things they have to do on the way. And this is one small step in that direction, having a multinational institution that they can lead. Mm. Another will be free convertibility. And as you know, that's some years away. Another will be a more liquid bond market that's accessible to foreigners. Mm. Those are things that have to happen before the renminbi becomes uh, a, a part of the reserve currency system. So, Alex, some 40 countries or so have now sort of indicated that they want to sign up to this new mm. development bank. But, it, but it's causing quite a lot of concern in the US, isn't it? So why is Washington so opposed to this? Oh, I think, uh, of course, this is the... Uh fear of or the rise of China probably. Uh, I think they, they are a bit uh, hesitant because of this. And, and Siwai Lung has said he also wants Hong Kong to join. So I'm wondering how that's going to work. How does a city within China, such as Hong Kong, join the AIB alongside China itself? Oh, but Hong Kong got an SAR after Hong Kong, so that should be still okay because we still uh, participate in sports uh, using the Hong Kong SAR. So I think uh, that is still fine because we sort of uh, a little bit independent because we had independent currency and system as well. So uh, it still makes sense uh, if we join uh, the, the AIB. Okay. Federal Reserve Chairman Janet Yellen said she expects the Fed to raise interest rates this year and that subsequent increases will be gradual. Yellen played down the timing of the first rate increase, saying the pace of tightening was more important. The benchmark federal funds rate has been kept near zero since December 2008. Janet Yellen explains why the FOMC now feels that the time is coming to raise rates. The near zero setting for the federal funds rate has facilitated a sizable reduction in labor market slack over the past two years and appears to be consistent with further substantial gains. A modest increase in the federal funds rate would be highly unlikely to halt this progress, although such an increase might slow its pace somewhat. I would not consider it prudent to postpone the onset of normalization until we have reached or on the verge of reaching our inflation objective. Doing so would create too great a risk of significantly overshooting both our objectives of maximum sustainable employment and 2% inflation, potentially undermining economic growth and employment if the FOMC is subsequently forced to tighten policy markedly or abruptly. And what about the impact of low rates on financial markets? Here's Janet Yellen again. Holding rates too low for too long could encourage inappropriate risk-taking by investors, potentially undermining the stability of financial markets.
US stocks broke a four-day losing streak in response to Yellen's comments, but were down overall for the week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 34 points at 17,712. The S&P 500 rose four points to 2,061. That's a fall of two and a quarter percent on the week. And the Nasdaq climbed 27 points to 4,891, a fall of 2.7 percent on the week. With just two trading days left until the end of the month, U.S. equity markets are close to ending the quarter with a negative performance for the first time in almost four years. Oil prices declined following the release of a report showing the number of rigs in the U.S. drilling for oil falling by the smallest margin since December. Brent crude, the international benchmark, slipped 5.3% to just over $56 a barrel, and West Texas Intermediate tumbled to close 6.1% lower at $48 and 28 cents a barrel. According to Chief Market Analyst at the Lindsay Group, Peter Bokva, the markets are dancing to the Fed's tune. Zero rates is just an unnatural rate six years into a recovery. But the problem is, is that GDP growth has an average more than two and a half percent. So they're stuck in this lackluster, mediocre type growth rate, not taking a look back and saying, you know, maybe our policy is not working, but not having the guts to raise rates, even 25 basis points. Rates went from five and a quarter to zero, stayed there for six years, and they can't even raise 25 basis points. Well, we've reached a point where there's been so much borrowing that the cost of money doesn't matter. Cost of money is not the impediment to further growth. And in fact, to me, it's caused a lot of rot in the economy. We have zombie companies in the U.S. that are able to stay alive because they can sell debt in a high-yield market. And it's just a non-natural way of things, especially this far in. And what we're doing is repeating monetary policy of Japan. The monetary policy of Japan is running into headwinds itself, as the latest data shows Japan's economy is on the brink of sinking into deflation once again. The core consumer price index was zero compared to a year ago, stripping out the effect of last year's sales tax increase in April. That's the seventh straight month of declines in inflation. Retail sales and consumer spending in Japan also fell in February, suggesting that Japan's economy is in a fragile state. However, Jasper Cole, head of research at J.P. Morgan, sees a silver lining. Good news in Japan is that prices are coming down because imported goods prices, imported energy prices are falling after the collapsing commodity prices. But the good news really is that wages, the labor market, wage growth is accelerating. So Mr. and Mrs. Watanabe are getting more nominal yen into uh, the pockets. And at the same time, the purchasing power is increasing. So it's good deflation. With the latest figures moving further away from the Bank of Japan's inflation target of 2%, how will the BOJ respond? Here's Joe Ziddle, portfolio strategist at Richard Bernstein Advisors. Clearly, these are much weaker than anyone would have anticipated or, or hoped. But, you know, our thesis here on Japan continues to be bullish, you know, bullish equities. And we think that Japan's going to, you know, the Nikkei will continue higher through 2015. And the reason is because we're in a policy-driven market here, not a fundamentally-driven market, right? We're in a market that's really being driven by, you know, Bank of Japan balance sheet expansion, uh, weakening the yen. And in a policy-driven market, ironically, bad news is good news. I think this will keep the pressure on the Bank of Japan to, to, to keep their foot on the accelerator. So let's bring in now our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who joins us on the line from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter. 
So, so Barry, where has all the inflation gone? Japan and the UK are both at zero inflation. China's got 34 months of producer price deflation, and, and we're seeing sort of massive stimulus from the uh, from the global central banks, but they just can't seem to get inflation up to where they want it to be. What, what, what's going wrong? Well, that is a PhD thesis question. I don't have a uh, short answer, a longer answer I could give you, <laughs> as academics tend to do. But look, I think banks are not lending. And yes, you had a guest just a moment ago say, well, high yield rates are so low that companies can sell a lot of, of junk level debt because interest rates are low. But I think that the transmission mechanism in the global financial system is in one sense broken. It's certainly the case in Europe. Banks are not lending. Here in the States, it's, it's still very hard to get a mortgage. I think that keeps prices down. I can't agree with the guest you had just a moment ago saying that deflation is a good thing in Japan. I think it's a terrible thing in Japan. But I don't really have a good explanation except the severity of the crisis back in 2007 and 8 is so deep that we're still recovering all these years later. So, so we seem to have a 2% inflation target, which, which actually has, has appeared to have crept up on us, hasn't it, over the years? I'm wondering why not 1% or, or half a percent or, or even minus half a percent? What, what's so magical about trying to achieve this 2% two, 2 inflation target? Because in many ways, inflation is stable, albeit stable at quite low levels. Well, I'm probably uh, considerably older, and I remember the 1970s where stagflation was a reality, and you had inflation rates that typically ran from 3 to 5, even to 7% here in the States. So I, I think 2% is a pretty modest level. I'm, I'm, it's always been that way in Europe since the Euro's formation, that they wanted to get inflation at 2%. But through the years, Peter, it's usually been that we've been over that. Yeah. But you're right. Certainly since the Great Recession, we've been below it. I don't think it is a magical number. But let's just say that deflation is not a friend of economic growth. So, so, Alex, China's um, suffering as well. Uh, PPI has been in deflation for about 34 months now, and the, the CPI is almost at a record low. Are you concerned about deflation in China? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, that means the real interest rate in China is really high. Uh, and the PPI uh, weakness actually suggests that the overcapacity problem actually uh, is very severe in China, uh, even though we had some uh, easing. But uh, that means uh, we still had a lot of uh, overcapacity to, to process. So, Barry, let, let's talk a little bit about Janet Yellen's speech in um, San Francisco at the, the end of the last week. After the FOMC, she, she appeared dovish, but now she seems to have turned a little bit more hawkish again, especially when she talks about raising rates, even though inflation is, is below expectations. What, what was your take on her speech? Yes, exactly that. I think it was a balance of the somewhat milder FOMC statement a week earlier. I think Ms. Yellen, first of all, is becoming increasingly confident in the job. So she speaks more often. This Friday, she's from San Francisco. That was a, that was a very unusual presentation. Uh, first of all, that she was out there so quickly after an FOMC. I do think that she's trying to prepare the markets, Peter, for the eventual, what everyone knows, increase in the Fed funds rate and in short-term rates generally. But, you know, it's that question of when. But Stan Fisher who she's encouraging now as the deputy head of the Federal Reserve to make more speeches, highly regarded academic, as your listeners know. 
Stan is of the view of saying, hold it. We know that when we raise rates, it's going to have a global impact, particularly in emerging markets. And I think all of this is part of a kind of effort by the Fed to prepare markets for the eventual rise. But my own guess is we're not going to see a rise in the United States until September, maybe December. And, and as well as preparing the markets for, for the rise, which, which they've been doing for, for quite a while now, are they also trying to prepare markets that, that maybe we live in an era of perhaps lower growth than we've been used to in the past, and also therefore a Fed, runs rate, Fed funds rate that's also going to be lower than was normal in the past? Yeah, that may be. That may be. You know, I, I just think that the United States economy should be growing at a 3-plus percent rate annually. We came in in 2014 at 2.4. We were 2.2 in 2013. I think that uh, you've got to see increasing business confidence. You've got to see the dollar stabilize. I think the effects of this uh, low oil price is going to be positive. I think the U.S. economy is going to pick up. But maybe you're right, Peter. Maybe she is preparing markets or or just giving the assessment that uh, we're in a slow growth recovery. If you go back to when Mohammed El Aryan was talking five years ago about the new normal, this is it. But no one anticipated that China would slow down to the extent that it has. And, and the Atlanta Fed themselves, they, they've got this model, haven't they? they? I think they call it the now GDP model, and they're predicting growth of just 0.5%. Do you think GDP is going to slow as much as that? That sounds pretty alarming, if that's correct. No, I don't. I, you know, look, I'm not uh, one of those uh, PhD economists that put together those forecasts. But uh, I'd be shocked if we're that low. I think that uh, things are picking up. Autos are strong. Housing is okay. You know, the U.S. economy, I've been traveling out in the West. I've been down in Florida over the past week. I think things are picking up. But uh, I, I just be, would be shocked if we're below 2% in the course of 2015. Okay. And can I just very quickly ask you, she made a rather curious comment when she said that cash is no longer a, a convenient store of value, which must be a surprise to many sort of middle-class workers who are paid in cash at the end of the month. What, what did she mean by that? Well, I'm not sure, and that did get a lot of attention. It caught my eye when she said that. Uh, you're not getting any interest rate by saving. You know, this is the big German argument, isn't it? You know, you, how can you put money in the bank if you are getting, you know, almost no interest? So, and, you know, you find this bizarre situation in some European countries where they're, you have to pay to put your money in, in deposit. I think that um, she's saying, you know, gosh, people should be borrowing because uh, there's not much to be said for cash. But she's certainly not saying much for savings. I think that... That comment, Peter, may get her a little bit into trouble because I don't think it's really been digested yet. It got my attention. It got your attention. I'm not sure what she meant. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll find out over time. Thank you very much, Barry. That's great. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, on the phone from Washington, D.C. Let's take a look at the markets in Asia now. In Japan, the Nikkei um, is down five points to 19,280. In Australia, the ASX is down 75 points to 5,813. And in Seoul, the Cosby is up six points to 2,026. In the currency markets, the yen is trading at 119 uh, points against the US dollar. The euro buys 1.08 US dollars and the British pound buys 11.53 Hong Kong dollars. From April 1st, 2015, plastic shopping bag charging will be fully implemented. All plastic shopping bags will be charged at 50 cents each or more. 
exemptions will apply to certain plastic bags to protect food hygiene, such as plastic bags used to wrap unpacked food or when the packaging is not airtight. Free plastic bags may also be provided for chilled or frozen food. Useless, wasteless. Bring your own bag when you shop. This is Money for Nothing on RTHK Radio 3, where the time is 8.23. The derivatives market in mainland China has experienced explosive growth in recent years. According to the most recent data from the World Federation of Exchanges, the CSI 300 futures contract is now the second largest index futures contract in the world, with an annual trading value of 23 trillion US dollars. And the Hong Kong exchange is also planning to add Chinese index futures to the Hong Kong-Shanghai Stock Connect scheme. And two new Types of stock index futures are start to trade. Will start trading on the China Financial Futures Exchange next month. Joining us now on the phone from Shanghai is Eric Ren, the director of business innovation at Haitong Futures. Good morning, Eric. Hi. Good morning, Peter. So, Eric, can you tell us why is it important to develop the derivatives market in China? Uh, as we can see, for the past few years, the uh, Chinese financial market is growing so tremendously, uh, growing up. And uh, we can see that right now for the uh, market, there's about uh, 140 million account opening and in China, I mean, in security uh, market. Uh, it's almost a 36 trillion market value in the, uh, in the, in the security uh, market. It's almost about number two in the world. So for the past few years, the uh, financial market growing really fast. And then and uh, during this uh, very important uh, moment, um, they already start up with a lot of uh, new business in the financial market, like, like equity financing business or uh, security lending business. And they launched the startup board and IPO reopen and asset management business and OTC market. Uh, a lot of things just starting with. So uh, I think based on the uh, uh, risk control or the asset management, of course, in China, uh, we really need that derivative market to help this uh, financial market more healthy and more tool they can use to do a lot of different kind of business. So, so uh, for now, the Chinese market is really near the derivative market to develop. So some of these e- existing contracts have seen enormous volume. So what do you attribute that success to? Yeah, I think it's based on because in China, there's a lot of different kind of a trader in, the, uh, in this market, especially right now for the uh, private equity fund and uh, a lot of the assets management. They are really interested in trading uh, CSI 300 futures. And also because the, the volume and the uh, market are uh, very volatile. So a lot of uh, program trading or high-frequent uh, trading clients, they, enjoy, uh, they join this market uh, very uh, uh, very active about on this market so uh, I think that's because uh, this market is very volatile and the people are really uh, interested and uh, they also can make some money in this market so I think CSS 300 uh, the cost of this volume is so huge I think it's because of different kinds of trading and this different kind of aspect of trader they join this market so that's why the volume is going very fast and meanwhile you can see that right now it's almost uh, 100 uh, 1.3 million uh, trading a lot, uh, counter a lot a day. It makes like if you they can you can see that such a big volume in in, in CSI 300. As we can see, the commission they can get almost like they can get about one million RMB uh, commission. Uh, 
revenue a day. That's a huge number, a huge, huge number. So, uh, so as we can see right now, this market is crazy and this market is very active and the exchange makes a lot of money and this market is getting getting more and more we can see in the future higher and higher yes so, so with those sort of um, those sort of values the the, the CFEX, the china financial futures exchange must be one of the most profitable exchanges in the world and alex is this a, a market that your clients are interested in you know seeing new index futures products options is, is this something that's exciting for for people here in hong kong oh yes uh, actually uh, we trade a lot uh, on singapore because singapore got the uh, the the um senior 50 uh, index futures uh, on that market and and uh, trading futures uh, had a good thing because uh, in China, if you bought Asia, then you cannot sell it um, on that day. So trading futures can give you a way to trade fast in China. So that's why we like it, actually. Yeah. So, Eric, just very quickly before we go, can, how can foreign investors start trading in these products? Are, are some of them or more of them going to be open to, to foreign investors in the future? Now, for the foreign investor, I think it's so it's a little bit difficult for them to get into China the, uh, to trade the uh, uh, I mean the uh, index features because the uh, for now uh, it's still only the uh, uh, QV or RQV client foreign client they can get into China to trade uh, 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 index feature for now. Uh, and right now there's a new market. It's called the Corodo futures. I could be fast uh, could be launched. I mean in this year. So that this. This product going to be launched to uh, to the international. All the international clients they can get into China's market to trade the Corolla future. But for the uh, CFX, I mean uh, index future or other commodity features, the foreigners you cannot trade uh, uh, the Chinese features in the product. Yeah, so so we'll certainly keep a close eye here on Money for Nothing on how this market develops. Thank you very much, Eric. That's Eric Ren, Executive Director of Business Innovation at Haitong Securities in Shanghai. Let's take a final look at the markets. Uh, the Nikkei is down now 16 points to 19,268. In Australia, the ASX is down 75 points at 5,813. And the Cosby is up just one point to 2,020. In the commodities markets, gold is trading at $11.95 per ounce. And Brent crude oil is trading just over 56 US dollars per barrel. So, Alex, beginning of a new week, what should we be on the alert for uh, this week? Oh, today would be the most critical day uh, because uh, today we would see how Hong Kong and China markets reacted to the news that uh, those uh, funds could come to Hong Kong without the QD- QDII qualifications. Because on Friday, after the news, uh, we only saw a very moderate reaction in the night futures market and also in the U.S. markets. So uh, that is the key today, and and I think that would determine the direction of uh, this week. If we see a strong rise today, then we would have momentum to carry it forward. Otherwise, probably we would still be locked within a range. Thank you, Alex. That's Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital, our regular Monday morning guest host. I'm Peter Lewis, wrapping up Money for Nothing. Thank you to Sandra Lam for producing the program. I'll be back tomorrow morning. Before we go, the weather in Hong Kong today, it's going to be mainly cloudy with one or two showers, coastal mist in the morning and at night, sunny intervals during the day with a maximum temperature of around 26 degrees and light, moderate, east to southeasterly winds. The relative humidity is 89%. And now the half-hour news with Janice Wong. Negotiations on Iran's controversial nuclear program have intensified in Switzerland with the arrival of the foreign ministers of the six world powers involved. Iran's lead negotiator Abbas Arachi said a deal was possible, but the talks were at a difficult stage and there were still issues to be resolved. 
The talks in Luzon will continue today ahead of Tuesday's deadline for a framework agreement. The British Foreign Secretary Philip Hammond expressed hope as he arrived. We're here because we believe a deal can be done, but it has to be a deal which puts the bomb beyond Iran's reach. There can't be any compromise about that. So if we're going to get this done here over the next few hours, Iran has got to take a deep breath and make some tough decisions. Exit polls in the French local election suggest heavy losses for the governing Socialist Party, while the centre-right UMP party of the former president Nicolas Sarkozy has made major gains. The far-right National Front made only limited progress. Mr Sarkozy said the result was a clear rejection of the current government. The French have massively rejected the policies of Francois Hollande and his government. The repudiation of those in power is without question. Never has a majority lost so many departments. Never has an incumbent government provoked such mistrust and rejection. Never. Politics has never embodied such failure at all levels. What was punished here were the lies, the denials and the weaknesses. Nigeria's election commission says it